This is Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. The coronavirus is turning life as we know it upside down in ways that seemed unimaginable just a few weeks ago. Across the globe, governments are responding differently to the crisis, setting off a wave of political and geopolitical implications that are far from being fully realized. With events unfolding at what feels like a mind-numbing pace, we asked our GMF colleagues situated around Europe to describe how things are playing out locally where they are, the steps their respective governments are taking so far, and how or whether nationalism is playing into any of this. To tell the story, we've asked colleagues in Germany, France, Spain, Belgium, Turkey, Poland, and here in the U.S. to answer three questions. What's the mood in your country? What's the degree of nationalism in your country's response so far? And lastly, if you had to make a prediction, do you think that this experience will ultimately help or hurt nationalist and anti-globalist politicians and parties in your country? Here's the episode. Hi, this is Peter Sparding. Marita Profi-Ciazowska. Hi, this is Peter Sparding, a fellow with the German Marshall Fund, talking to you from Washington, D.C. on March 25th. As anywhere else, it took the country a few days here to realize what was actually happening. I would say that the mood has since shifted quite quickly and that worries grew especially fast given the lack of reliable widespread testing in the country. As the federal government's response was slow and at times unclear, with diverging statements from the president and his scientific and medical advisors, the states and cities have taken the lead in enacting public health policies. Here in the D.C. region, the state governments of Maryland and Virginia, as well as the District of Columbia, acted pretty quickly actually to shut down schools, bars, restaurants and non-essential businesses. Now we're kind of in a waiting pattern here to see when and if these measures will have any effect. However, the situation in New York City and New York State seems to be getting very problematic and the density of the city is making the virus spread fast, so people are paying close attention to what's happening there. Meanwhile, in Congress, the focus has been on trying to stave off economic collapse. Uh, late last night, Republicans and Democrats agreed on an aid package that would come to about $2 trillion, which is by far the biggest rescue package ever passed. And in terms of the degree of nationalism in the response, it is notable that the president and his supporters still refer to the virus as the Chinese virus. At this point, it's unclear to me whether that is mainly an attempt to shift the blame to the outside uh, in an election year or if this is a more lasting effect. While the initial shutdown of travel from Europe seems to not have been very well coordinated with governments there, the closing of the border with Canada and Mexico was done in a more cooperative fashion. So maybe there's some aspects uh, of cooperation that are becoming necessary for this administration as well. The unique situation that this crisis has hit the United States in the middle of an election year makes it a bit difficult to think about the political consequences beyond just a few weeks. Uh, campaigning has moved to the online sphere for now, and we don't know what the effects will be yet. Sometimes leaders can benefit from a rally around the flag effect here, as happened, for example, after 9-11. And so far, President Trump's poll numbers have remained stable or even slightly increased. The question is what happens 
once the public health and the widespread economic effects will be felt and actually realized by broad sections of the population. It would seem that this could hurt re-election chances of any incumbent, but if we have learned anything in the past years here, it is never to assume anything and never to make any predictions. This is Martha Prochwiczyazowska, GMF's program coordinator, talking to you from Warsaw on March 23rd. The general mood in Poland right now is like anywhere else, really. Everything came to a halt. Schools are closed. Shops are closed. And whether people are panicking or not really depends on what it is that they do. Small shop owners, of course, and bar and restaurant owners are beginning to feel a sense of uncertainty. Um, people who have stable jobs, full-time employment, and are working from home are taking this very seriously, but definitely not feeling a sense of panic. So like everywhere else, people are worried and fearful, But what I do think is particular to the Polish context is that they're being very understanding of the harsh measures. Uh, they're accepting them without protest, being very disciplined and taking the restrictions really very seriously, even avoiding um, talking to other people from closer to a meter when they go out to walk their dog. Overall, I feel that there's an atmosphere of solemnity, which is also very particular to the Polish context, um, a type of ceremonial community that is forming around this crisis, um, something a bit akin to what we saw in Poland after the death of John Paul II and the airplane crash in Smolensk. The media messaging um, at the same time is very calm and supportive. It, people are talking about how to stay healthy across um, all newspapers and press. The problems um, with the public health care system uh, are being raised by the opposition party. The ruling government is being accused of not doing enough tests, but these messages are not as well heard as the calming ones. And the biggest debate uh, that's taking place right now in Poland is the debate around the elections and whether to postpone them or not. The ruling party is not willing to postpone them just yet. Uh, and the opposition parties uh, want to postpone the elections, saying that they will be impossible to do in the current circumstances. Poland has closed its borders and only Poles and foreigners living in Poland are allowed into the country. The um, citizens of Baltic countries, Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia, who wanted to cross Poland um, by road to go back to their own countries, were not allowed to, to do that. In, by car, and uh, there has been a lot of criticism towards the Polish government for not opening up a humanitarian corridor to allow passenger cars. So the response in this sense has been very uh, nationalistic and inward-looking. Uh, there is uh, no talk about solidarity towards other European um, countries or any other countries around the world. When the ruling party looks abroad, most of the time they look towards other countries' responses to the crisis and mostly pointing to Italy um, for a 
bad response, uh, which serves as an example for Poland to lock its borders even sooner. So Poland is not getting any help from other countries and not asking for help. Um, The EU aid that was granted to Poland went practically unnoticed and there wasn't much talk about it. So it seems that the ruling party wants to deal with this crisis and make a point about dealing with this crisis all by itself. The crisis that we're facing right now is a test for ruling parties everywhere in the world. And the ruling party in Poland right now is a right-wing, Eurosceptic, national conservative party. And if the crisis calms down in a couple of months and the presidential elections that are scheduled for May take place, then the Law and Justice Party will automatically be strengthened. The opposition parties have uh, been supportive of the measures that have been put in place. There there has been criticism towards um, their handling of the healthcare system, but overall, everybody agrees that the measures were necessary. Um, now, this is the most unlikely scenario because everything else, which is the healthcare system and the economic recession that we're going to face, uh, all of that is far more important than than these uh, short-term measures that were put in place. They will have uh, much wider consequences. So if the crisis calms down after the recession is already starts, then then the no, then people will uh, look towards opposition parties. And the main opposition parties are more centrist and left-wing. So I believe that even though people are supporting their local businesses right now and thinking about going on holiday in Poland and not flying somewhere very far in the world, nevertheless, there the anti-globalization trend will not be spreading. Uh, for, for one, the border with Ukraine and the flow of people is tantamount to Poland's uh, labor market. A lot of Ukrainians work in Poland and we need, uh, we need them here. So... I don't believe that the overall trend is going in this direction. This is Bruno Lete, senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund, talking to you from Brussels on March 25th. I wanted to give today a brief overview of how the situation is in Belgium. Unfortunately, here as well, the numbers for infections are still increasing and so are, unfortunately, the numbers for diseased people. Uh, But Belgium was uh, among the first countries in the European Union that did implement uh, restrictive measures such as social distancing, closing schools, closing shops, closing bars and restaurants. And so we see that this early decision um, is paying off. Um, relatively speaking, if we compare the numbers for Belgium, they are lower than the numbers compared to other countries in the European Union, like France or Italy uh, or Spain. It does not mean that uh, this lower number uh, projects confidence for what is going to happen in the next coming weeks. But overall speaking, we could argue that the Belgian federal governments. Uh, made the right decisions on the right time and the management of the COVID-19 crisis um, has been handled pretty much well. From a political perspective, we see that the crisis has actually brought 
the government closer together. Uh, before Corona erupted in Belgium, uh, there was still no federal government in Belgium. Uh, they were still negotiating uh, almost a year, actually. They were negotiating f to form a coalition. And um, actually what we saw happening is that every politician in Belgium saw the seriousness of the crisis and took their responsibility. Two weeks ago, uh, the uh, a minority government was formed uh, that will receive the support of all parties in uh, the Belgian parliament for uh, tackling the crisis. All parties, including uh, even those that could be deemed more radical, whether they are on the left side or the right side. So what we really see happening in Belgium is that Corona created political uh, unity And that, of course, is something that was very essential uh, for the country and able to have the muscle to deal uh, with this crisis. From a health perspective, we see that the hospital network is still doing relatively well. Uh, the government has swiftly increased the capacity at the emergency services. Belgium now has about 2,000 beds uh, available, and we see that this capacity is still quite adequate. Um, about 500 people are now lying in uh, first emergency services in Belgium. So they're still quadrupled the capacity, but obviously the government's day-to-day -day is monitoring that situation uh, and is evaluating if more beds need to be created uh, in the emergency uh, services. Belgium is one of the countries that boosts an excellent healthcare service, uh, but we also see that in the midst of this crisis, the government has taken the measures that were necessary. Uh, they also support healthcare uh, staff by, for instance, providing extra amenities and benefits for them. Uh, there are special times where they can go shopping to supermarkets. And also, despite the schools being closed, uh, those uh, parents, those children that, that have parents working in the healthcare system Uh, receive actually access to the schools where they can stay. So this is a good thing for, for our healthcare staff. Now, from a societal perspective, we see that people are pretty calm and sober about the crisis. Uh, the restrictive measures are being followed up quite well. We see that the streets are actually quite empty. Jogging is still allowed in Belgium. Going for a walk is still allowed in Belgium. But uh, we see that people really follow the guidelines that you cannot be with more than two people on the streets. Uh, the police is patrolling the streets in Belgium to make sure that these measures are being followed up. They're even using new technologies such as drones. Um, but the amount of people that have been fined uh, is relatively uh, low. So we see that society copes with the crisis in a very sober and rational way. Um, in the beginning that the restrictive measures were implemented, there was a bit of a rush on the supermarkets. Um, but um, today we see that this rush is over. I myself was at the supermarket yesterday. Uh, there were no queues and all the shelves were plenty of all the necessary goods that people need. So I would say a sober response from society. We see that society generally is also supporting uh, the measures that were taken by the government. So that's it for the general mood in, in Belgium. 
very um, interesting to see, though, is that Belgium was also very quick in closing uh, its borders in a very precise manner, actually. The police closed the borders with the Netherlands, with France. Uh, it also actually built barricades on the smaller roads uh, connecting Belgium with the Netherlands. It blocked some of the smaller roads with containers. And we really see that perhaps there's a sense of national emergency, national need here, and um, a sense that while the European Union may provide some responses to the corona crisis, that Belgium also has to take its own responsibility. Now, that is a very new feeling uh, for Belgium, I would say. Belgium is traditionally always one of the countries that argues for international responses, international cooperation. The, the term nationalism and sovereignty is not really something that resonates in, in Belgian ears of politicians, of the people. But for the very first time, we really see that there's a sense of Belgium unity as a nation that we need to take our responsibility and that perhaps uh, our neighbors and the European Union will not provide the answers that we may need to face this crisis. So this is a very interesting uh, trend uh, to see in, in the country. It will remain to see how things will evolve here in the coming weeks. Our government in Belgium has been communicating quite clearly that this will need to not be over quite yet soon. Uh, Maggie de Bloch, the Minister of Health, actually this weekend said that measures may still be in place for another eight weeks to go. Again, so we will see, but uh, overall we can conclude that uh, the crisis in Belgium is still in a range that is quite manageable, but obviously, as we've seen in other countries, the situation can turn very quickly. From economic perspective, last but not least, uh, the consequences are pretty uh, dire. Already one million people in Belgium are on technical unemployment. Belgium has a population of 11 million, so that's almost 10% of the population that is now really facing a serious uh, economic and financial problem. The government has been very quickly to announce an aid package. It has also announced measures to help businesses as a means, for instance, for those entrepreneurs that now, long, no, that now no longer can to work, they don't need to pay rent, they don't have to pay electricity or gas or water. So these measures have been in place, but there is no doubt that uh, the corona crisis will leave a huge footprint on the Belgian economy. A recession has already been announced by the National Bank. And so um, we see that this corona crisis is now also surely but slowly turning into a economic crisis. This is Chiara Rosselli, head of the Open European Dialogue, reporting from Berlin but commenting on the situation in Italy. The latest update on numbers in Italy confirmed the country has so far just over 59,000 cases. A slight dip in the rate of new infections has been detected and this opens up a slither of hope that the curve might be on its way towards flattening. Yesterday, 3,957 new cases were detected, which is already 1,000 less new cases than the day before. The mood in the country reveals that the majority of Italians, circa 70%, uh, now accepts that the crisis is here to, to stay, that it will last at least another two to three months. And Italians are taking the situation extremely seriously by now. 51% of Italians fear directly for uh, the loss of their jobs. 
and over 90% of the population are either moderately to very scared of the spread of the virus. Surely one um, interesting cultural comment on this is that in a society where family plays such a large role and the relationship of a younger generation with the nonni, the grandparents, uh, is quite a close one, the thought that the virus is uh, will be hitting heavily the older and weaker elements of our society is not per se a calming factor in Italy. And surely the, the whole situation is getting very real as uh, members of direct family or extended families are now being infected. Rather than a state of panic, though, for now Italians seem highly satisfied that the measures uh, implemented by the government, 94% of citizens uh, approve the measures, uh, the country is responding with signs of strong societal cohesion, or so it seems from the demonstration of solidarity and spirit of resilience of its citizens to what seems to be an uh, increase in trust towards uh, the leaders and uh, the leadership of, in this country. Media reporting seem on the whole uh, relatively balanced. Uh, the, tone are, the tones are down to, down to business, uh, matter of fact, less prone than they have been in other, in other crises to speculation and sensationalization. Indeed, 64% of uh, Italians think that they have reacted to this crisis well, that the media has reacted well. Finally, the messaging coming from the government is we will be hit, we need everybody's help, but we will survive this together. Mm, from energy companies, hotels, car manufacturers, pooling resources, repurposing factories, to the arrival of a delegation of Cuban doctors that has just arrived in, um, in the region of Lombardy. The tones are also still, I would say, rather hopeful that uh, everything will be done in order to take on this crisis responsibly. There's been widespread criticism of how the EU has reacted to the Italian crisis. This, of course, was also felt in Italy. In fact, whilst trust in institutions, in national institutions, has increased across the board from trust in the government, in the health system, in the civil protection, in the regions uh, as well, has increased trust in the EU uh, as a sort of response uh, actor in this in this whole crisis has not uh, fared so well. That said, it's important to note that particularly the backlash came after the Christine Lagarde comment about the ECB's role not being there to close spreads. Uh, what's important to understand is that for a population that for the past 10 years has measured its own success, the, the health of its financial system, by two measures alone, GDP and spread, to dismiss the importance of this, of this measure was, was something that for sure hit, hit the Italians where, yeah, where it hurt. That said, it is wrong to assume that the Italian media or public is all consumed with political uh, the political blame game. I think far from it. The media, the messaging, the citizens are way more concerned with getting down to business and uh, really addressing this crisis. And there hasn't been an overwhelming uh, amount of, uh, let's say, political speculation at this stage. It is too early to tell what the political implications for the country country will be. In Italy, we still don't know uh, the magnitude of the crisis and how it will impact uh, the economy. But of course, the economic implications will uh, have a major impact then on the political landscape as well. So we'll have to see how that plays out. 
That said, what we do know is that the um, bigger parties are gaining, uh, Partito Democratico and Northern League in particular, and smaller parties are losing out. What is also interesting is the overall um, support for the government. It has now reached a record-breaking 71% of support by the Italian uh, citizens, which um, is unprecedented in the last 10 years. The leader and the government that got closer to this um, number was Matteo Renzi after the European elections in 2014, uh, where his rating gave him at uh, 69% support. Now, a lot will depend on uh, what narrative prevails around the crisis. And as we know, narratives that are more infused with the themes of empathy, of solidarity uh, and unity uh, tend to, as uh, as cognitive scientists have, uh, like George Lakoff have, have uh, summarized, tend to breed um, a mind space that allows, uh, would, would allow for more progressive parties to, to make gains. Uh, it definitely opens up um, a, a window of opportunity there. Uh, that said, if the narrative that prevails is the one of, let's say, um, we are at war with this virus, uh, sort of over-securitization of the theme, then this could uh, perhaps play in the hands of more right-wing parties. For now, the Political trend, though, does not discriminate between the left and the right part of the spectrum. What seems to emerge is more support for uh, clear leadership. Uh, the ratings of single politicians have been affected a lot more than those of uh, of parties, which is also an interesting trend to follow. In general, there has been some degree of revival of sentiments of patriotism, let's say. About 80% of Italians believe that Italy has reacted better than its European counterparts. There is some resentment vis-à-vis Europe, not so much vis-à-vis the EU, where instead, regardless of the Christine Lagarde moment, there is still a sentiment that the necessary measures will be taken in order to stabilize Italy, if need be, as well as the others, of course. But there's more of a resentment towards the individual countries that took so long to take seriously the threat that was being announced uh, by Italy. This is Özgür'ün Nisacıklı, Director of GMF's office in Ankara, talking to you on March 23. Turkey is among the late adapters to the coronavirus. Significant measures against the pandemic were taken only after the first case in Turkey was detected on March 11. Today, Turkey has closed all land borders and cancelled flights to 68 countries and forced a curfew towards citizens above 65. Closed schools, universities, cafes, bars, restaurants, gyms, shopping malls, shops and all worship places including mosques. Authorities are preventing people from stinging groups in public areas and strongly advising all citizens to stay home. Turkish citizens are also slowly adapting to the new reality we will all face for the foreseeable future. While there are small numbers of people still going out or protesting measures such as the closing of mosques, most people are compliant. While Turkey has severely restricted moving into or out of the country, it cooperates with others against the pandemic. It has bought 2 million test kits from China and sold 500,000 domestically produced test kits to the United States. 
It also sold 50,000 masks, 100,000 protective garments and 100,000 safety goggles to Bulgaria. The pandemic is also influencing the Turkish society in a way that could transform politics. Turkey is known to be a country with a high degree of polarization and political tribalism. With the pandemic, there are signs that political tribalism and polarization are weakening. In fact, the most visible fault line in the Turkish society today is along the lines of social distancing. While well-known political Islamists have argued in favor of closing the mosques, people who otherwise are very critical of the government have enthusiastically supported the measures initiated by the government. Every day at 9 p.m., Turkish citizens from all political backgrounds applaud health workers from their balconies and windows. Perhaps while fear led to political tribalization in Turkey in the past, a greater and more widely shared fear is creating cohesion today. While it is really way too early to tell, if this trend endures in the post-pandemic period, it could lead to a less polarized political environment in Turkey. However, there is yet another outcome in the form of rising inequality that could impact politics in a much more significant way. While upper middle class professionals are making a big deal out of working from home, vulnerable groups such as house cleaners, taxi drivers, street vendors, waiters, and many others are losing their meager incomes. SMEs, particularly in the service sector, are facing bankruptcy. Unless addressed effectively, and it is not being done yet, these developments could lead to a significant social tension in the post-pandemic period. This is Martin Quincey, Deputy Director of GMF in Paris. So it's been now seven days since uh, President Macron announced the state of national lockdown in France. Uh, the population is obviously very worried, but uh, generally speaking, the, the different measures have been respected and they were supported by the different political parties. The criticisms against the government have uh, mostly focused on the fact that it did too little too late. Some political leaders of the opposition have blamed the, the, the government for having organized local elections on March 15th. And I think this decision in particular will be what uh, the government will be blamed for in, in the months to come. Uh, there is also a sense in the population that what Italy has faced over the last week or two weeks is precisely what France will deal with in the coming days and, and that we should prepare for the worst for our health system. Uh, now, this being said, there is no sense of panic, uh, simply an anticipation that uh, we are far from, uh, from over with, uh, with this crisis. And from a more long-term perspective, the question is whether France can sustain uh, such a state of, of lockdown, both economically. I mean, the, the government has already announced that uh, it will cost hundreds of billions to the state, but also at the more societal level. Uh, and, and the question is whether uh, some parts of the, of the French population may decide uh, not to respect uh, the quarantine anymore, uh, after several weeks and, and maybe go back to work, which would put a lot of pressure to, um, to the government. In general, the, the responses have not been nationalistic in any way. Uh, France has not closed uh, its borders, uh, even in Italy, uh, despite the, the situation there. 
And the government, the French government, has been uh, extremely proactive in trying to find uh, some sort of a European solution to the crisis, so at least to help coordinate uh, the different measures with uh, European partners. This being said, it's obvious that the the actual efforts of coordination have been been quite uh, limited and that the European response to the crisis has been uh, disappointing. There were some initiatives that we should mention, more at a bilateral level, So, for instance, German hospitals, some German hospitals have accepted to take in French patients that are in critical condition. France and Italy have also started a common purchasing procedure for uh, different equipment. And this is obviously very positive, but the European uh, help has been obviously uh, quite, uh, quite weak. And what has been announced in the media is that France will receive more than a million uh, surgical masks from China. And obviously this has been covered as, as the main help that the state will receive uh, in the coming uh, days and weeks. Now, given the, the current trend, I think we can say that the situation will not be back to normal before at least another two months, and, and that after the pandemic, um, a very serious economic and political crisis will, will follow. In fact, we can even expect that the rest of President Macron's mandate, uh, which is uh, supposed to end in 2022, his first mandate, the rest of this mandate will be defined by uh, the response to uh, the crisis. This will be uh, the main framework in in which the the government will have to operate. Now, nobody can really say who will benefit uh, from uh, from it, but it's obvious that anti-globalization movements, either from the far right or the far left, believe that pandemic will reinforce their arguments. And uh, in fact, the the, the events have shown that France cannot provide uh, the medical equipment uh, necessary to uh, its doctors and nurses that are dealing with the crisis. It's also shown that uh, the whole idea of that you this Europe that protects the idea that has been promoted by Macron since 2017 was not realized and that solutions came mostly from nation states but not from Europe. So in the end I think uh, the economic implications of the of the coronavirus will will truly define the political future of the country. Uh, but it is likely that uh, a new economic crisis will weaken both uh, the government but also other mainstream political parties. And in fact, it's very difficult to to see um, in the different political parties who will uh, emerge as a, a kind of credible leader uh, for France in, in this new context. Hi, this is Christina Kausch, GMF Senior Resident Fellow from Madrid, Spain, where today on 23rd March, we've been 12 days on a total lockdown. The mood here is considering the high numbers of cases, still surprisingly positive, at least among the non-infected, and as much as I can judge this here from the quarantine. The Italian example has led to a harsh lockdown, which has just been prolonged to to another two weeks for a total of four weeks. The ambience is good. There's a mood of solidarity, I would say. At night, people are clapping on the balconies to honor the sanitary workers. Above all, right now, what is soaring is the fear of the socioeconomic impact of the virus lockdown, which is coming through. Spain is still recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. Nine out of 10 Spaniards are very worried about an economic downturn because of the coronavirus, and half of the Spaniards fear of losing their jobs, an early recent poll found. I think the media are 
quite careful and cautious. The government's caution releasing figures. I think they're trying to avoid alarming messages and panic. Um, I don't feel that there's any sense of major panic in the population. As I said, people are very, there's a lot of solidarity. It sort of brings out the humanity in people. People are caring for their neighbors, sending lots of jokes around. So it, it's really a little bit more about uh, how, to, how to get through the lockdown and the worry about the, the economic consequences rather than the worry about the infection with coronavirus as such. That's my impression. The response to the coronavirus in Spain has not been really nationalistic. Although the borders have been closed for a week, Madrid is on a strict quarantine. Um, but I haven't really seen any significant xenophobic tendencies. On the contrary, uh, the right-wing nationalist party, Vox, that has been uh, very successful in the last few elections, has, uh, has been very quiet. Its own leader, Santiago Abascal, tested positively on coronavirus and is under quarantine at home. Um, you read and hear very little from them. Uh, and I personally haven't seen any attempt of them uh, to instrumentalize coronavirus to rant against uh, uh, against foreigners, against migration of the kind of uh, instrumentalization that you might have expected. Um, in the population at large, I, my impression is that it is this is really understood as something different, uh, a global challenge of all humankind, of, of, of all the people of Spain in this case, that is beyond ethnic and national boundaries, that people feel a sense of solidarity, and that leads to a closing of ranks uh, above everything. Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has asked the EU for help. He's, in, he's asked for a Marshall Plan, Eurobonds, Uh, from the European Union to buffer the economic impact on Spain. We'll see how that develops. Well, it's hard to anticipate the impact in the mid and longer run, because right now everything is really very monothematic. The Catalan nationalism tries to utilize the corona fear. They've moved from Spain robs us to Spain infects us. But as far as I can see it from here, this is not really gaining a lot of traction because even in Catalonia, people are locked up in their houses and have other things to worry about right now. At large, I think there are a lot of ironically positive effects. Everybody really reunites uh, in the face of the coronavirus. And yes, there's criticism of the Sanchez government, but that's relatively low-key, I would say. The experience of the corona crisis will help the Spanish political system to mature. It helps the political forces, the party leaders, to get used to consensus building, to negotiation, to collective problem solving in face of a common challenges. And to, that thereby, I hope, I hope, to some degree, lift the, this kind of eternal prism of party politics that has dominated the Spanish political discourse for so long. Hi, this is Jan Techau, and I'm responding to your questions concerning the uh, 360 podcast on the coronavirus. Now, I'm in Germany, and uh, what is the general mood here uh, in, in Germany? I would say that so far there's a certain tenseness here, certainly in the country, but so far people are relatively um, calm and quiet, um, taking it as it comes. You hear criticism on the uh, 
uh, kind of moderate lockdown that we've had for the last uh, several days. You have those voices saying that it's not worth risking the entire economy and that therefore, you know, restrictions should be lifted or softened. And uh, generally, I think people play along. They accept the authorities' um, advice and restrictions. People, I think, understand that this is a unique threat and that therefore unique measures need to be taken. But I wouldn't rule it out that at some point this changes uh, and that the mood swings and that all of a sudden uh, we're in a situation where there's uh, less discipline and uh, and where people, you know, grow tired of this. Uh, and as we know, this is probably the riskiest point in the whole outbreak when that happens after the initial discipline, uh, because then the second wave might strike you even harder. So uh, I think there is that lingering tenseness in the background and how long the discipline can hold um, is not really entirely clear. Media messaging um, is is actually quite straightforward. And those voices who say that all of this is, is overblown are still very much a minority program. But, uh, you know, as I said, that might change. What's the degree of nationalism of Germany's response to all of this? Germany's res response was not unlike the response that you get from most other countries in Europe, which is, you know, very much a, a focus on uh, coping as a nation and not so much as a international player or as a European player. In Germany, we have the specific situation, not unlike in the US, where you have a federal system and there's a fairly strong uh, political autonomy established at the subsystem level, at the state level in Germany, uh, with uh, state governments actually having quite a lot of discretion um, over um, how to deal with crisis situations like these. So the German reaction was not completely coherent not completely unified. Well, it was a situation where um, Germany, when you compare it to other European countries, was very much in line with this rallying to the flag, you know, the country first. I think you uh, can now sense a little bit of remorse. People think that that was not sufficient. And I think in the political class, we have louder voices that, you know, we need to show more solidarity and that a European response in many ways is desirable. And uh, what has happened is that Germany certainly is a more solidary player when it comes to bilateral relations. It has increased its aid for Italy, for example, and uh, I think it is also quite interested in driving the European agenda on this. But for that, you need other players to play with. And for the moment, I think filling the EU with life, making the EU a useful tool in fighting this, this crisis outbreak is not what's very high on people's agenda over here. So third question, what's the trend here? Is it going to come, to come down or will nationalistic and sovereignist forces, you know, uh, grow and grow more popular because of it? My feeling is that the more established political powers so far have benefited from this, partly because they're in power and so they have the executive prerogative on all of this. Uh, and they look good because they can actually act. Not only can they fight the the disease itself, uh, the pandemic, but they can also, you know, put aid programs into action and so on and so forth. So that makes current and more established political powers more popular, including the chancellor herself. In the long term, I think it depends on a number of things like in all other systems as well. How long is this going to last? How strong will the economic fallout uh, be? Is there going to be a second wave? How much money will we not only spend on ourselves, but perhaps on helping others. And you hear the occasional voices already that want to, you know, be very, you know, cautious on showing solidarity with other countries, you know, paying money, putting German wealth on the line. It's not a particularly popular program. If the German government decided to go that way, that might well increase 
criticism coming from the more populist fringes, perhaps the most decisive factor in all of this is that the populist parties that we see on the rise, especially the AFD, have very little to offer in this crisis. They have not really been dealing with the crisis itself but they have tried to exploit it by connecting it to other topics like, for example, climate change and to play the two issues against each other. That is a, a scheme that has not really made them particularly popular at the moment. And I do not think that this is a winning recipe for them for the future. So I would be very cautiously optimistic and say that up to this point, the crisis has not strengthened the populist powers. It's also partly because populism in other countries has not really been particularly successful in dealing with this, neither in the United States nor in other places. The populist nationalist kind of movement that is now in power in other countries, including in the UK, uh, by the way, None of these have looked particularly fantastic on this. And so there's not really any kind of foreign success that the German populist movement can build on. And so I, I my feeling is that this is uh, not really the kind of crisis that they might benefit from, as opposed to the migration crisis or even the euro crisis 10, 12 years ago, both of which really fed the populist movement. I think this is not the kind of crisis that will do that. Out of Order podcast is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. Rachel Tausenfreund is the editorial director. Sound design and editing are by Zachary Tarrant. That's a wrap.